I'm Brandon Katz. And I'm Jean Bentley. And this is Must Watch Netflix Edition, a conversation between two pop culture junkies to help you navigate the massive library of Netflix. Today, we are joined by TV Guide senior West Coast editor Megan Vick to discuss the back half, aka the sexy half, of Shonda Rhimes' very first Netflix series, Bridgerton. Uh, now, Jean, you jumped into your screeners long before I did. And so for weeks, you were telling me you got to get to Bridgerton. You got to get to Bridgerton. And now that we are on the back half of season two talking about that, do you want to just give a quick little refresher for our, our listeners at home who maybe have checked out our first half conversation? If you haven't, please go download it. And just in case they're newcomers, just a little bit of about what Bridgerton is all about. Yeah. Well, it's this uh, large family in Regency era London. And there are eight siblings and they all have their little stories, or at least the uh, the oldest siblings have their stories. The younger ones are, you know, they're not interesting enough yet, but we'll get to them if the uh, series runs as long as the books uh, that they're based on uh, did. Um, and basically, the first season is based on the first book and it is about the eldest Bridgerton daughter, Daphne, and this will they won't they romance that she has with the duke and spoiler alert uh but not really because you're listening to the second half of our podcast so you presumably know or want to know what happens uh they get together guys they get together in episode five they finally tie the knot ow, and, ow. and yeah <laughs> yeah and there's yeah. been this like is it real? Is it not? Oh, clearly they have attraction. Oh, but we'll get married um, because uh, I kissed you and that's scandalous. How, oh, no. Uh, and uh, and so they finally get married and uh, they finally have some sexy times that uh, just do not stop. And uh, so listen, in the first half, I was like, don't watch this with your parents. Guess what? This is especially where you do not watch this with your parents, uh, unless you have some sort of like, really interesting relationship with them. Uh, I feel like this is something that you should watch separately. <laughs> I want you to talk to someone if you have the type of relationship with your parents where you feel comfortable watching these episodes with them. And listen, yes. if they're artistically free-spirited indivi individuals, all the power to them, that's great. But man, this would be tough because it is nonstop in the back four episodes. Yeah, it, it was worth the wait. You know what I mean? Because this is Shonda's first show when I recommend it to people. I was like, imagine Scandal, but with Netflix standards and practices. I think that's the perfect summation. Yeah. Bow chicka bow wow all the time. Um, well, thank you for joining us, Megan. And like, let's get, let's talk about this. Let's dive right in. Uh, you know, I think that this show is very unique because it is based on a series of romance novels, which is definitely a genre that hasn't necessarily been explored as much on screen. And it is done by Shonda Rhimes. Um, obviously, she is not the the creator showrunner who is a man, believe it or not, Chris Van Dusen. Uh, no, uh, but but it is kind of has been shepherded by Shonda, and because of that, it feels like it has a very uh, uniquely female point of view. And these sex scenes that we're talking about are really kind of shot from the female gaze versus the the male gaze and and you know i know you have a lot of thoughts on this topic 
I do. Especially because the first thing with episode... So they get married and then they have sex on their honeymoon. And I think... I know this is a Netflix podcast, but the first show that came to mind when watching that honeymoon sex scene was Outlander. By the way, the fact that they're like standing, looking at each other, and they undress in front of each other, it's very outlandery, uh, which is also based on like an adventure set of romance novels. But I will say that like, while Outlander is mostly shot from the female gaze, like this takes that even one step further, which is impressive. And I've never seen it done to this extent before. And I don't know how graphic we want to get, but just like the attention to Let detail. Let it fly, Megan, all good. Okay, well then, like, just like straight up facts, like, 75% of women can't orgasm <laughs> without extra clitoral stimulation. And the fact that, like, during her first time, they pay attention to that, I was like, wait a minute, a man is in charge of this show? <laughs> and it's just like, and it wasn't done in, like, a gross way or a science. They kept, like, the sexy romance. I like to call it, like, the cruel intention, sun through the window like romance of like the sex scene vibe because i feel like That's for perfect. people of mine and jeans generation like the reese witherspoon ryan philippe sex scene and cruel intentions is like the definitive like <laughs> awakening thi- like the film <laughs> romance thi- like that's what you when you're young you're like oh that's like what your first that's what film makes you think your first time is going to be like so you still get that sort of like everything's romantic and perfect and like nothing's uncomfortable but then they also make room to be like no 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 this is her first time and he's making sure that she has a good time while she's doing it and i was just like i all the awards please <laughs> just have all of the awards for having this it's done and it's not like weird or awkward they keep that sexy part of it while also being like no there's some facts and boys take notes yeah yeah and then it kind of continues the next episode <laughs> Where they're in, like, full honeymoon phase. Oh, yeah. There is an absolutely incredible montage set to an orchestral version of Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams, where it is just them, like, banging in various permutations (laughs) and various, like, Regency-era settings. With, like, the servants and the house staff all clearly being able to see, hear, like, very much not nonchalant, which I kind of respected. They're like, you know what? It's our honeymoon letting that freak flag fly. Yeah, yeah. they're like, this is our house, and uh, so this is what we're going to (laughs) do. I think it's also realistic of, like, she has found something that she enjoys, and he is also, like, making sure that, like, no, there's there's a bunch of different ways to enjoy this, (laughs) and let's figure it out in this gigantic mansion. And I'm like, again, all of the awards? (laughs) And even to me, from, like, a story point of view, the fact that he was so focused on her, I'm like, this isn't just a fraud sham of a marriage. He really cares about her or else he wouldn't care to be going this extra mile to be so gentle and instructive and uh, generous, maybe we'll say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I mean, I have a question for you, Brennan, not to like put you on the spot, but, but this Let's is definitely like the sex scenes in this show feel very much from a, a woman's perspective what a woman finds sexy and it's the same kind of way where it's almost this intangible thing like I don't know if you guys saw the Harley Quinn movie but the difference between how Harley Quinn is shot and costumed and the entire vibe is totally different from when the character was introduced to when she gets her own movie which is uh you know directed by a woman and it, and it's like 
it is the same character. It is the same actress. It's essentially sort of the same kind of themes, but it's just, it just looks and feels different. And I'm wondering if you noticed, uh, if, if that's something that you pick up on when you watch it, like we have been like, oh my God, picked <laughs> up on. <laughs> Listen, I think that's a great question. And I'd start answering by saying, I think boy or girl, it's impossible or you're just blind to not acknowledge that 99.999999% of mainstream entertainment has completely been from the male gaze, from the male point of view, in order to sexual, hypersexualize women to the point of selling your entire product maybe based off that core attraction. So to see something different after being you know, a professional film and TV consumer for years, it's just exciting from a storytelling perspective. I'm like, wow, this is a kind of point of view and gaze and beginning point that I'm not used to seeing. And that for just itself makes this a more exciting, more interesting new TV show to analyze, dissect, and evaluate. So while it wasn't necessarily smack you over over the head, this is, you know, the female version of everything you've seen in your entire life. It was certainly a point that I noticed, especially in the back half where I'm like, okay, this is clearly more female oriented. And Megan, you said boys take notes. I, I'm kind of embarrassed to show you my notebook when I was, as I was working through my screeners. Let's, let's just say I am a observant, active listener. Let's let's call it that. You should not be embarrassed about that. That's we support that. We stand an icon, and like, yeah. Congrats to you, Brandon. Thank you. Well, thank we appreciate you. Thank you so it. Much. And this is something we touched on in our our first half podcast. But Gene and I really have liked the use of modernized music, but like Regency-ified. I just think normally that doesn't work. And here, for some reason, the Taylor Swift song, the uh, the other song that's in, I think, the premiere, I think they do it to great effect. What, what, where, think, where did you stand on that, Megan? Uh, I feel like anybody who covers, I also, and like Shonda has always loved playing with pop songs in interesting ways. She doesn't do orchestral versions on Grey's Anatomy, but there's a lot of like like 90s cafe Starbucks covers of like classic 80s songs. So like it's really about like changing that arrangement and making pop so, so like this it made perfect sense like when the needle drops on the first one like I was like wait a minute I know that oh right that is absolutely a Shonda touch where like she took a pop song and then just like made it fit the era. And it so that's like, I, that's, yeah, that's a Shonda signature. And I was excited to see that she found a way. And it also okay, just makes Gary. it, because I know that there are a lot of people, as as there are many people that like love that this is a Regency era thing and that's a period piece, there are a lot of people that are turned off by that. And I feel like this is a way to bring in people who are like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, why do they have to be like, like, what does it mean for them to like go out or like be taken out in society? And like, why is it frustrating to be like, oh, but I know this Taylor Swift song. So it's like, it's just another way <laughs> like into it and to like get people who may not be familiar with this world into it and sort of like feel like they're part of it. I love it. I think it's a great entry point and a great mixture yeah. of, of old and new. Now, Megan, correct me if I'm wrong. You've had some interview with uh, behind-the-scenes talent, on-screen talent. You you got some inside scoops into Bridgerton, right? A little bit, yeah. I got to talk to the showrunner and to Phoebe and Reggae, who played Daphne and the Duke. Um, and I will tell you this, that I talked to Reggae, Reggae Jean Page plays the Duke, uh, and I talked to him over the phone, and even over the phone, he was charming, and I got, like, flustered and couldn't <laughs> handle what was happening. 
Um, I respect the honesty right there. It's well, like I'm all, I'm in the middle of writing like a big feature sort of about the sex scenes and sort of how we haven't seen this before. And I gave him a warning that that's what I was gonna be asking about, just so he didn't think that I like I was at. I mean, I'm sure he's used to it, but I just want him to know there was a story purpose to me asking about, like, right. what was it like for you to get naked? <laughs> uh, and he just, he started the conversation, but like, oh, I'm like so excited. He has a British accent that I'm not going to try and replicate here because God knows. Why not do the accent? <laughs> Stage is yours, Megan. No judgment. <laughs> he's like, I'm really excited to have a fun conversation with you for the next 10 minutes. That's a terrible British accent. I can do it better, but I couldn't do that his. That was pretty good to me. And then I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm talk- I'm doing a feature about these sex scenes. So he's like, oh, so it's going to be a really fun conversation. And I was like, oh, my God, like, stop it. <laughs> I'm a professional. You know, like the playing with yeah, the hair. I'm yeah. a professional. I have been doing this for many years, and I cannot handle this conversation right now, <laughs> sir. What insights did you glean from this amazing, scintillating conversation? I feel like one of the big things uh, that shows, I think it's obvious from the show, but like then when talking to talking to everybody is that they had an intimacy coordinator for this series and that she was an integral part of how they shot these scenes. And they really went hard on rehearsal and talking about like, not just like, you're having sex and this is what we're going to do, but like really having conversations about like from a character perspective, like whether this is her first time, uh, there's a time where like she purposely seduces the Duke. I don't know how, if we want to go too deep into it, if people haven't gotten to that particular episode, but uh, well, like she, she finds out that he might be lying to her and that he's doing some like pull out method for reasons. Like he hasn't been honest with her about why he's doing the pull out method. And because she's never had sex before, experienced this before, she doesn't understand what's happening. And when she figures it out, she traps him. And that's the whole thing. And having an intimacy coordinator talk about like, from a character perspective, like this is why this sex scene is different. And this is why you're going to touch him in this way. And this is why he's going to touch you in that way. Because this is what he's going through at that moment. And I feel like that really, you can see that. Like, they're having, like, a physical communication. And it's just the same as you would rehearse, like, a big monologue or a speech and block that out. Why haven't, like, it blows my mind. It's like, yeah, why haven't we been having those conversations about sex scenes when they're just as important as whether, like, like the throwdown between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Like, it's the same exact thing. It's just, like, people are naked. No. I think that that feels like just one of the ways that they tried to put a lot of thought into these sex scenes, but also just give this genre, treat it with the legitimacy that that it deserves. And, and that feels like a concrete result of that is these sex scenes that are, yeah, are a little bit raunchy sometimes, are a little bit, you know, don't watch it with your mom, but... It, it it sparks this conversation and the same amount of thought was put into it as like a fight scene or something like that. Yeah, and I think that goes back to your the the montage that, that you love, Jeannie. I mean, yeah, it's it's humorous because they're having sex everywhere. It's romantic and sweet, but it's also just a really pivotal moment for both characters who have been fighting against this and it finally kind of gets swept up in the current. So the fact that it is well sketched out and choreographed and discussed it's actually a step forward for mainstream entertainment, which, as we know, is snail-like in its progress towards sensitive subjects. Yeah. A mutual friend of ours, uh, Terry Schwartz, made the point to me. I've texted, like, every female TV 
critic who has watched these uh, screeners. We're all on board. Uh, but she made the good point of like, it's a romance novels. And especially like, because there's a series, there's eight books in this series. And then I think there's also a prequel series that goes with it. Like this is made to be a cinematic universe. Like there can be a Bridgerton cinematic universe, the way that there is a Marvel cinematic universe. And it's, it is sort of astounding that like, that hasn't been thought of before that like romance novels make a really good backdrop for that sort of thing. It's really easy to include characters. They'll then have their own spinoff stories and all these things. So I feel like it's really interesting to see where Netflix is going to go with this afterwards because they, they've put themselves in an interesting position because Natalie, not Natalie, uh, Daphne and the Duke's storyline kind of comes to a, a nice place by the end of these episodes. And there's, not necessarily a reason to continue with them. There is a, there's a opus, like a push for them to focus on other characters going into season two, fingers crossed that we get it. And it's interesting to see like how they will handle that considering how invested we are in Daphne and the Duke, but also you have so many other characters that need time and exploration since their storyline kind of, you know, they figure it out. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to come back to season two and beyond and like what we're, we're looking for moving forward but to kind of tie a bow on what we're talking about here i think maybe one of my main takeaways that i really liked and i'm interesting to to get your guys's thoughts on this is that to me bridgerton with its romantic sex scenes with it with its art house orgies it was this debauchery juxtaposed with debutantes and dilettantes you know this mixture of high and low brow in this kind of extremely sweet and sympathetic and non-judgmental way and a mixture that I think could have easily careened off the rails and, and gone terribly in lesser hands. So that was kind of maybe my anchoring idea of what Bridgerton was and what I was really drawn to. And I'm wondering where you guys stand on that blending of high and low, upstairs, downstairs dynamic. I mean, I'm personally for it. That feels like exactly the thing that I love. I love mixing highbrow and lowbrow. I feel like... Everybody has highbrow taste. Everybody has trash taste. And, you know, it's kind of fun to see them meet in the middle. Uh, and some episodes of this show veer in one direction and some veer in the other. And I think it's also, it's not just these elaborate sex scenes between Daphne and the Duke. It's like the second brother, uh, whose name is Benedict, as we <laughs> discovered discovered discussed. the only one without know. sideburns that's yeah, how i kind of remember the non-sideburn brother like he kind of embodies that too because his whole storyline in this show is that like he goes to this like art sex den and he's like i'm doing art but also having three ways and you know you know regency era hedonism who hasn't among us come on yeah. now <laughs> exactly so like the, there's that i i mean i feel like um i feel like it's melding just so many types of things together that that is also a natural part of it <laughs> yeah i think i agree with you guys completely that like it is this fun thing i've there's this whole thing within peak tv of like prestige television and we have this like really concrete notion of what prestige television has to be and that prestige television is the only awards worthy type of thing. And that's not true. And frankly, it's boring. So like to have sort of a show that like has all the 
marks of a prestige show with just like the quality of how it's filmed the acting the set decoration all that stuff like it's a period piece it has those earmarks of like emmy catnip as we like to call it and then it's also like but it can also be fun you know and you can like enjoy this and like want to gossip about it with your friends and it doesn't have to be this like we are serious we are serious drama and we are doing it's like no like you can poke some fun you can have a giant you can have what like a four five minute sex montage sent to an orchestral version of taylor swift and it can still be art <laughs> because that's what it is and it's like we should be able to enjoy these things for what it, without having to feel like we're losing our taste because like it's maybe not as as polished as some people would have you like to believe to to make it think that it's worthy Megan, I think you hit the nail on the head and just the umbrella extension off your point is I am so thankful for the rise of the dramedy over the last 15-ish years because I really do think it has helped expand our understanding of what quote-unquote prestige peak TV is, what important programming is, because now suddenly these shows that have a sense of humor and have a message and have deep emotion are finally being recognized as elite storytelling options out on the market. And I don't think that was always the case. And I'm so glad that we're moving away from the kind of stuffy, like, I love The Crown, but it's all, hmm, how are you, mother? I'm good. How are you? Hmm. And we don't need that to always be the case for enjoyment. Yes. Although we enjoy that too, Yes, we do like The Crown. We contain multitudes. (laughs) We're so versatile and eclectic here on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, moving back to what you were talking about before, Megan, season two and beyond, in the back half of season one, they really kind of start to focus on the mystery of who Lady Whistledown's real identity is. I have to be honest, and I don't want to speak for anybody else here, I truly didn't care who Lady Whistledown was throughout the entire run of the show. I would have been fine had that never become a central plot point. It does, and in doing so, it does set up future storylines. What What did you guys think? You know, does that is was that a twist and turn that you needed and that you were looking forward to, or could you have just continued on? I mean, I'll I'll speak for myself first, but uh, I didn't even necessarily expect them to reveal it. I mean, I guess it makes sense because who knows, Netflix? Are, are you going to get a second season? Sure, you want to wrap up some loose ends, but. Um, and, and I think that the reason that they did focus on it is because the conceit of the whole show is through the lens of Lady Whistledown's little gossip column. And so I understand why they did that. I was also like, oh, whatever. But also the person who I thought it was, was that person. And so uh, I was like, yeah, this fits. I like it. I would like to see more. I hope for a second season so we can see more of the behind the scenes of that and then the person who it is and, and what they're thinking. And I would really enjoy that. I would also say that uh, having watched Bridgerton all the way through twice and started on a third, it's fine. Um Watching it, knowing who it is, you can see a lot of things that they set up that you maybe didn't quite catch on to before. Yeah, I'll agree. I did not expect that to be a season one reveal. I kind of thought they could hold on to that for a little bit and do like a Gossip Girl thing. Like we'll find out at the end what's happening. Um, 
and I will say, uh, I hadn't read the book, so I had no idea. And then it turns out it's also the same person in the books for those that are curious. Um, but it does, to Jean's point, it does set up an interesting thing of like, now when you're in season two, what does the lady whistle down conceit look like now that we know who it is? So that, that creates that, that's going to change the feel of season two. Cause like, are you still going to have Julie Andrews like narrating when we know <laughs> what's happening or is the person who is lady whistle down herself going to actually narrate the thing? Spoiler. It's not Julie Andrews at the end. <laughs> Although that would have been the best twist of all. I would have been so excited for that. It's, um, it, So now we're looking at kind of a how I met your mother situation where Ted Mosby's the narrator, but he's not um, a full house dad. Bob Maybe Saget. escapes me right Oh, right Bob now. Saget. Yes, yeah. thank you. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's like he doesn't grow up to be Bob Saget because he's already grown up. So it it is an odd situation structurally. I just don't know if I need that cat and mouse game. Like, I'm very much okay if the future seasons were just like, okay, here's another person of the family and their kind of romantic sexual awakening and and here's other high society things. But I do get that it throws in this new wrinkle, especially for a couple members of the Bridgerton that are 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 going to be particularly affected by this reveal. So I guess I get it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, did did either of you have suspicions of who Lady Whistledown was? I had suspicions and I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, Gene, I, I got to be honest, that was a pretty good call, but I didn't I did not. Uh, I was wrong, too. <laughs> and I, you know what? Frankly, I haven't watched it a second time. But my first reaction was I don't know if this is fully earned and I don't know if I like how it colors the character in retrospect, because it does certainly, in my opinion, add a level of cruelty that I wish this character had stayed away from. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's interesting to watch again, but also, you know, life's short. There's a lot of stuff on Netflix. I don't know if you guys knew that, um, you know, perhaps enough to start a podcast where we highlight some releases because there's so much stuff on Netflix. So, you know, it's fine. Uh, but I will say it was enjoyable to catch those things the second time around, for sure. I absolutely believe this is going to be a show that people watch multiple times. And so I think just it, it just is there. You have your comfort binges on Netflix and there are things that you return to all the time. And I definitely feel like especially I feel like I think I'm going to say it now. There's going to be a Bridgerton resurgence around Valentine's Day. I, I would expect, a, yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. Netflix typically makes their renewal cancellation decisions about four weeks after the premiere of seasons because they want to get all that juicy viewership data. I would not only expect a renewal, but some type of juicy announcement about the expansion of the Bridgerton cinematic universe that you mentioned, Megan, right around Valentine's Day. And then when it finally does cross over with the Marvel Cinematic Universe down the line, which we know is inevitable, well, that's that's when we're just going to stop cinema completely. Like, we've reached the peak. There's no reason continuing. We're done. <laughs> I also think that, well, we might, I mean, this is a little bit of a prediction, but I think that we might see... Uh, some more romance novels or romance series option. I feel like the performance of this show will certainly play a part of that. But also, we've seen it uh, with 
Fifty Shades of Grey got a whole box office trilogy that did very well, and uh, it's you a know, billion dollar franchise, yeah. right? There. Exactly. Will, what is I will that just point out though, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is not fun. from the female gaze. I, there's, I have a whole separate TED yeah. talk that we don't yeah. have time to get into uh, here, but like, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. That's for the However, follow-up podcast. You know, subject matter in general. Uh, you know, I could see this happening going forward. And also, what was that weird um, Polish movie? I think that really sexy Polish movie that Three, was three sixty five DNI. Yeah, three sixty five yeah. DNI. People are horny and they want to watch sexy stuff on Netflix. Is essentially what I think the lesson. I will also say was. there's the After series, which is based on Harry Styles fan fiction. Which fan fiction is unpublished romance novels. Let's just be honest about it most yeah. of the time. Uh. And that, like, the second movie is dropping on Netflix on Tuesday. And so, like, that's also, like, that was a huge thing when the first movie dropped on Netflix last year. And, like, I think it'll be a, a thing again. We're like, guys, like, women have all a long time been, like, the biggest consumers of things. Like, we buy most stuff. And so it's just like, uh, you can cater to that audience. And it's also that doesn't exclude the dudes. Dudes can also, as we can see, Brandon no, enjoyed Bridgerton. really enjoyed it guys i think anyone out there like it doesn't matter what part of the spectrum you're on like this is just a fun show facts just simply facts yeah man and also uh Mm -hmm. re fan fiction you know obviously we're not gonna say like all fan fiction is unpublished romance novels but there is certainly a a subset of fan fiction that is Mm -hmm. that is that and there's some really wonderful fan fiction out there that should be published but also there's you know ip issues and legal issues involved with not publishing that so so we understand that and you know it's a Listen, I can't wait to see the fan fiction that this Bridgerton show inspires. It's I feel like it'll be pretty spicy. On that note, and I wanted to put it on my season two wish list. We kind of talked about it. Like Benedict with his like art orgies. I would like Benedict to discover that he also likes dudes by season two. I would like that's I I thought that's where they were heading. All right. They one. like they they queer baited us just like a little bit. I don't want to like use that like harsh of a term because it does like that pays off in a really great way as well. But like, I feel like why put that in there if Benedict's not going to do some soul searching and out of eight siblings, one of them has to be queer. That's just statistics. Like it's. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I mean, there's so many, that's the thing. They created a world and there are so many characters in it. And there are so many avenues that they could explore. They could definitely go with the next book in the Bridgerton series, or they could focus on a different character that doesn't come up as quickly in the book series because they established a bunch of things for all of the characters, you know, maybe not the younger ones as much as I mentioned before, but you could go any direction for a second and third and whatever season of this show. And so it just feels like it's ready made for that. I could also see them filming two seasons consecutively, particularly with all of the production issues that we have because of COVID. I mean, maybe they've spent the past nine months, you know, writing a couple of seasons of Bridgerton and then it'll just film it all at once. Who knows? This is really not based on any fact. This is just conjecture and what could happen. I, I would like that to happen. That would be fun. Well, for like me, Netflix but. is pretty famous for having writers go ahead and start working on seasons even before they green light what's happening yeah i like exactly 
I, I like it all. I'm hoping for more Bridgerton. I think this is going to be a huge hit personally, and I definitely expect a season two renewal and beyond. All right, before we exit, any parting thoughts or points you want to make before we kind of bid goodbye to Bridgerton until it returns, sadly? Yeah, Megan, hit us. And then tell us where the people can find you online. Okay, well, my main points are, again, don't watch with your parents. Two, Benedict into dudes for season two. Uh, and also, like, I don't want to lose Daphne and the Duke. Like, I know they kind of wrapped up, but, like, also, like, we're so attached to them, I, I want to kind of keep them there in the proceedings. Uh, and I'm on the internet. You can find me. Twitter is the easiest way, at Mego Inc. That's M-E-G-G-O-I-N-C. Uh, and then I'm at, over at www.tvguide.com. And you want to plug any upcoming projects or anything you're excited about? Oh, man. Uh, I have a couple of big pieces about Bridgerton that'll be coming on Christmas. That came out Christmas Day and will be coming out like shortly afterwards. Um, and mostly if you're having trouble telling the Bridgerton brothers apart, there is a guide on TV Guide to help you figure that out. One has sideburns. <laughs> the other one likes to hang out on swings and smoke cigarettes. Uh, but yeah. Much needed. Much needed, Megan. Well, thank you so much for coming on. That is it from us. New episodes of Must Watch Netflix Edition post every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're out. Megan, thank you so much for coming.